uh, get to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 1. His first few Sundays in January, we are looking at three different prayers found in the New Testament to, uh, to lead us or to grow us in a prayerfulness. Last week, we were in Philippians 1, which is a prayer that leads us toward uh, how to pray through spiritual growth and growing up in Christ-likeness and, and pursuing holiness because that's who we are in Christ. Today, we are looking at uh, 2 Corinthians 1, which will lead us in, in how to pray for uh, comfort and strength for one another in the midst of affliction or trial. And then next week, we're going to look at a prayer from 2 Thessalonians that will lead us toward mission and, and the mission that we are on to make disciples of all nations that we want to see the Word of God spread rapidly. That's the, uh, next week's prayer for us. Here's the passage for today in the CSB in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. I'll read it and then we'll get into it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. Verse 8. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and He will deliver us. We have put our hope in Him that He will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on, on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. As I look back on the past year and consider the, the flock that I am entrusted to uh, care for, to shepherd alongside the elder team, as I consider the households, the, you all, your lives, and what you're walking through, one common thread has been of how households have been walking through affliction. Brothers and sisters in Christ walking through hardship, trial or difficulty in some form or fashion. And it wasn't like last year was unique. Jesus said in John 16 that this world will have trouble. And since sin entered the world in Genesis 3, sin has had, or the, the world has had trouble. But as I consider fellow brothers and sisters, I see people who I love walking by faith through things such as chronic pain or disease, or loved ones with chronic pain or disease, grief over the loss of friends or family and loved ones, slanderous accusations from the world, struggle with infertility, parents walking with children through things such as attempted suicide, addiction, sinful rebellion and wandering and mental illness, others who are walking through family dysfunction and, and rejection, parents rejecting children or these kind of dysfunctions, others who are just walking through the typical strain or brokenness of households, unjust firings in the workplace or weariness or burnout in the workplace. The afflictions are various, and none of us are above them. They're a part of life, including the Christ-following life. The, the health, wealth, prosperity gospel is false and just utter silly nonsense. We should trust Jesus' words that 
in him there is abundant life, John 10.10, 10, and that John 16.33, that we will have trouble in this life, but we can take heart, we can be of good cheer, we can be of courageous spirit because the one who we trust in has overcome this world. So knowing that none of us are above affliction and sufferings at times in this life, how do we respond to them? How do we pray through them? How does the truth of who our God is strengthen and comfort us? And how does the Lord want to use His people, fellow siblings in the family of God, to strengthen and comfort us? And for us to, to be strengthened and comforted by others. This is where 2 Corinthians 1 will take us because we don't want to guess at those answers. We don't want to just kind of have a little huddle and try to come up with our best ideas. We want the Word of God to lead us to truth. And this is what we want to be as a people of God. Jesus prays for us in John 17, 17, that we would be sanctified or transformed by the word, which is truth. So that's my prayer for us today, let alone any other Sunday or any time we open up our Bibles the other six days of the week, that we'd be changed by the word as we open it and read it and seek to apply it to our lives. Paul's writing to a local church in the city of Corinth and and with any local church, it is safe to say that the believers in that church have had or are walking through afflictions or hardships at times. And so as a shepherd to these people, Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is, is writing words to them to strengthen them, to comfort them, to encourage them. Verse 3 again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Paul reminds us immediately, Praise be to the Father. In affliction, we must remember who the Lord is, and one member of the triune God is our Heavenly Father. In the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus prays to God as Father 60 times. God is not some mythical force. He's not far off either. He is close. He's involved in His children's lives, including in times of affliction. He is the Father of the, of the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of mercies and all comfort. If you've repented and put your faith in Christ, you've been brought near into the family of God, been adopted by the Father, and He hasn't walked out on you. He hasn't abandoned you. Jesus tells us in John 10 that the Father has you securely, safely in His hand. The enemy can't take you out of His hand because our Father is too strong, too good, too victorious, loves you too much. Loved ones, especially in seasons of trouble, we must cling to our unchanging identity of being an adopted, securely adopted son or daughter in the Father, in the Father's family. Paul reminds us that our God is a God of all comfort. The Greek word for comfort is paraklesis, and it shows up ten times in this section. The original word's meaning refers to the encouragement or consolation given to someone who is suffering or grieving. It means to come alongside in order to help, to strengthen, to make strong and brave is this idea of paraclesis or comfort. See, when we hear comfort, we, we might simply reduce it to just sympathy or empathy. It's deeper and stronger than that. We serve a God who puts strength into our hearts so that we might face the trials that we do and endure through them. God of all comfort, Paul writes, all is an all-encompassing word. He's not lacking or deficient to strengthen us. He is more than able, loved ones. 
Your Father in heaven is not cold and callous. He knows of pain and grief in the sending of a son. He knows of sorrow. And it's not just God the Father who is our comfort, but, but God the Son is our comforter. God the Spirit is our comforter as well. Jesus told, us, told His disciples in John 14, 16 that the Father will send the Spirit to be with His people forever. And He gives Him there this name of paraclete, meaning our comforter, our counselor, our helper. We can take courage, friends. We serve a God of strength and an ever-present help in our time of need. Verse 4, He comforts us in all our affliction. Again, all is an all-encompassing word. No affliction is beyond his sight. No affliction is beyond his knowledge, his ability to comfort, his ability to strengthen or sustain his people. I am grateful. He doesn't just name one type of, of affliction right there or one type of suffering. Even Jesus in that John 16, 33, just says, hey, life's going to have trouble. He doesn't go into an exhaustive list of, well, it only qualifies, only applies to these 10 things. The potential afflictions we walk through is an ever-changing list. We know that as believers, we live in a fallen world, a world forever marked and stained by sin until the Lord makes all things new. So our bodies break down this side of heaven. There's loss, sickness, and suffering. And because sin exists in this world, we'll be sinned against by others, which can often lead to trial. We also know that while we are not of this world, we're going to still be in this world. And at times, we face persecution for righteousness' sake. To stand firm in biblical truth, even done graciously in the way of Christ, will often lead to rejection and persecution. That was the path of Christ. Why would we expect our life to be different when we're followers of Him? We also know we have a spiritual enemy in the devil. According to 1 Peter 5, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Our enemy loves to try to lead us into temptation and for us to disbelieve the Lord's word and his character, his unchanging goodness and grace. We also know that our flesh is weak. We have remaining sin. And that while the power and the penalty of sin has been broken, removed by the sufficient work of Jesus Christ upon that cross and the resurrection on the third day, we also know that the presence of sin remains. So sometimes our own sinful flesh leads us into affliction. And the Lord uses those times to, in our lives to prune us, cutting out the dead idols, cutting out the dead branches so that new spirit-led, spirit-filled life might grow, the fruit of the spirit might grow in place of the, the dead that needs to be cut out. Hebrews 12.11 says, No discipline or pruning, you might say. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so as His children, we welcome that pruning because the Father is for our good and for our joy. He's cutting it out so that we might experience His, His abundant life more and more. He comforts us in all our affliction, no matter the source of it, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. He comforts and strengthens us not just for our benefit. Do you see that? But for the benefit of others. So that we might pass on His comfort. And it's not our comfort, it's the Lord's comfort that we pass on. It's the same progression we see in the New Testament where, where Jesus always goes first. 
What we receive or, or experience vertically in Christ is what we are to display horizontally to those around us. So, the path we see in the New Testament is Jesus first forgave us so that we might forgive others. Jesus first loved us so that we might love one another. Jesus first comforts us vertically so that we might turn around and comfort those around us horizontally. We are not to be a stagnant storehouse of the living water of Jesus Christ. The living water is to overflow from our lives for the good and comfort of others. So if you're walking through affliction presently, or if you have in your past, or at some point in the future, when trouble comes your way, it's preparing you. It has prepared you to walk with others, to be a source of comfort to others, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, the first one to comfort us. Verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. As Christians, we are gospel people. We are united to Christ through faith alone and by grace alone. And Scripture tells us, Philippians 3, being an example of that, that as Jesus-following people, we will experience suffering in this life just as Jesus did during the Passion Week and on that Good Friday. And yet, we will also, because we're uni- we are united to Christ, we will experience His comfort just as Jesus did on the third day when He rose from the dead, beating sin, death, and the devil. There is no good news if the story stops on a Friday. If the story goes virgin birth, birth, sinless life, selfless death, if it stops there, the first half of verse 5, if it stops there, the sufferings of Christ, there is no good news. But loved ones, we know the story continued on, and so does verse 5. So while sufferings overflow, even more so, so does his comfort. Joni Erickson Tata, the the well-known Christian author and speaker, she's 72 years old now, 72 years old. At age 17, she became a quadriplegic because of a diving accident. She writes this, And when Christ enters with his comfort, he turns our suffering inside out, raising sad spirits, inflating collapsed hearts, and bolstering weak, weak wills with his perseverance and hope. It is the nature of Christ's comfort not only to feel sympathy, but to redeem, to redeem the affliction. 1 Peter 1 tells us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ enables us to live with living hope because we know that earthly sufferings are never the end of the story, just like the cross was not the end of the, sto- of the gospel story. Yes, there was trouble but we can be of good cheer because our faith is in the one who spoke those words in John 16.33 and then went out and beat death later on. He beat it. Our faith is in Him. We're in Christ, found in Him, hidden in Him. Last year I read the book uh, Union with Christ with a Friend. I both highly recommend the book and Reading with a Friend. It moves me to reading oftentimes to say, hey, let's read this together and I know we're going to meet, and I've got to read that chapter by then. But the author writes this as it relates to suffering and affliction. He says, he says if you know that you're in Christ and all the wonders that little phrase entails, that you're completely atoned for by Christ, covered by Christ, forgiven in Christ, washed clean in Christ, then you can be sure and certain that God loves you 
even though you may not know why he is allowing the suffering or what it will mean, it can't mean God is punishing you or condemning you since Christ already bore all the punishment and condemnation that our sins deserve. And he bore it completely, once for all, according to Hebrews 10.10 and Romans 8.1. That's good news. The suffering we are walk, walking through is never condemnation because Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid for it all. He bore the full weight of it. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. Paul is saying that the sufferings he has experienced in, in his life and ministry, that the Lord will use those afflictions to strengthen other believers, both here in the Corinthian church and, and beyond, including us in this moment. And what were some of those afflictions? Well, he lists many of them later on in the same letter, chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verses 24 through 28. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea on frequent journeys. I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, Many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing, not to mention other things. I just love that phrase right there. Oh, there's other things too, but I'm tired of listing all of them. There is a daily pressure on me, he writes, my concern for all the churches. And Paul's writing these words in chapter 1. As he's doing that, he's aware of all of what he just listed out there. And that the Lord has redeemed and continues to redeem and and use these afflictions to comfort and strengthen other people. To use the line from uh, Joseph, Joseph uh, Genesis 50, verse 11, that what was intended for evil, God used it for good, the salvation of many. And there in verse 6, we see our Christ, one Christ-like reality the Lord is producing in us, in the midst of affliction, is patient endurance. Church, I see this in so many of you right now. It is deeply encouraging to my own walk with the Lord. You've strengthened my faith watching you walk through trial or affliction or suffering in a God-glorifying way, in a way that speaks of your anchor in Jesus Christ, your anchor to being in Christ. One of those households is Dylan and Brenna Stork, and I've asked them to share, and Dylan's going to come up now, but I believe... Uh, their story, their ongoing story will be an encouragement to you and a comfort to you in whatever you might be facing. So I'll let uh, Dylan share. Hello, church family. Um, I can practice all I want, but it's still nerve-wracking getting up here. Um, but as Dave mentioned, my name is Dylan Stork. My wife, Brenna, she's just sitting a, a few rows back over here. Um, her grandmother recently passed away, and we had her funeral yesterday. Um, if this hadn't just happened so unexpectedly, she'd definitely be up here with me uh, because this is just as much her voice as it is mine. Brenna and I both had similar plans for our lives. Become teachers, get married, get our master's degrees, and then have children. Well, we are teachers, 
We're happily married for four and a half years, right, Bren? And uh, we have our master's degrees, but we do not have any children. We've been trying and praying for a child for over three years now. Uh, it's not something we thought we would ever face. My dad's one of 14, mom's one of seven, Brenna's mom's one of eight. Between the two of us, we have 100 first cousins. Um, so it's, it's just way unexpected for us. I won't get into our story completely, but I will say that it's riddled in pain in the form of miscarriages, unexpected health concerns, terrible medical care, insurance issues, financial constraints, definitely some marital conflict here and there, waiting and wondering, and worst of all, feeling like God has abandoned us at times. We do not wish this battle on anyone. Uh, we just thought that the word uh, battle at this point accurately describes what we're going through over journey for sure. Uh, but in the midst of everything, we have survived because God has provided, even if it is not exactly what we want or in the time frame we want it in. Shortly before this battle with infertility, we became members of Crosspoint and we joined a community group. We have watched in awe as many members of our church family and our community group have been providentially placed in our lives throughout everything we have experienced. God has been constantly at work to help us in our suffering. We have not hidden our issues with having children from many of you that we have talked to. And we have been amazed at how many people in our church family have continued to check in with us and support us through all of it. We have truly felt the love. God has provided us with all of you, and that is the reason that we have not given up. Throughout all our pain and the waiting and wondering, we have realized our need for Christ and our church community and our church family. We experience, our experience has also strengthened our marriage. This has not been easy because we are human and we still often think that our suffering just shouldn't happen or we should just get what we want here because we've prayed and we've been saved by God's grace. This common yet very flawed mindset is far from the truth. Our suffering is, is what has allowed us to draw close and realize God's work in our lives. Our experiences have given us courage desire, and the ability to support neighbors, family, and friends that are also suffering from difficult life circumstances. Any relief that we have felt along the way comes from the provision of the Lord. We are still constantly working through the pain and the questioning that infertility can bring, but we are not walking blindly. God has grown our faith and understanding of who he is in the midst of everything through all of you. All of you have encouraged us to remain faithful. Your prayers have brought us comfort, and your kindness has shown us that we are not alone. Most of all, Brenna and I wanted to encourage anyone here that is going through a difficult life circumstance of any kind. Dave listed off a whole bunch of them. Any of you going through any of that, we want you to share that with your church family, uh, with some of your friends here, uh, because God put them here in your lives for that specific reason. And we just want to say that we are thankful for all of you, and we say thank you to God frequently for putting us here with you. Thank you again, church family. Thanks, Dylan. Father, I pray that your faithfulness might abound in Dylan and Brenna's life, that your goodness might abound and overflow. I thank you for the ways that you are comforting and strengthening them and how they are not a stagnant storehouse of your living water, but it is flowing 
from them toward those who they work with, live with, live next to. Strengthen them. May your faithfulness abound. May you be glorified. And we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 7 then. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you'll also share in the comfort. The meaning of the word hope, hope there, refers to this confident expectation of deliverance. Paul is confident. He knows the gospel. And the Corinthian people have trusted in Jesus and his good news. So he knows and has this firm trust that the father of all mercies will be faithful to his sons and daughters. Just as he was faithful to the one and only son, Jesus, through the injustice, the suffering, the death, and yet also the comfort and hope of the resurrection. And then starting in verse 8, Paul goes into this personal example of affliction because he's not above it. He's right there with them. He's speaking on firsthand basis of the mercy he has received from the God of all comfort. Leaders in the kingdom are never above affliction. If so, this job, for example, would be the best job on the planet. And you should all be pastors. And you should all join a church staff. And you should all desire eldership. If, if leaders in the kingdom are above affliction, that'd be awesome. And you should all change your jobs now. It's not the case. Leaders in the kingdom are among the flock. Because leaders in the kingdom are sheep still being cared for and loved, and fed, and protected by the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. So this is where Paul goes next, sharing personal examples, verses 8 through 11. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed, beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such terrible death, and He will deliver us. We have put our hope in Him that He will deliver us again, while you join in helping us by your prayers. The many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. So whatever affliction it was for Paul, which he doesn't name, it was so overwhelming and beyond his strength that he despaired of life itself. I would call that honest. More than likely, he and others were, were being persecuted to the point of near execution. And in his sharing, I want you to see a couple habits that, sh that should be shaping how we walk through affliction in the context of a local church family. First of all, Paul is honest. He doesn't deny that he was walking through affliction. He speaks about it including where his head, his heart were at in the midst of it. We are a people saved by grace. That grace allows us and encourages us to share our weaknesses and neediness. And this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. This is a giant of the faith. The Spirit inspired him to write much of the New Testament. He's a church planter, missionary. They put the word apostle in front of his name. And he can be honest and walk in the light of God's goodness with God's family because he's saved by God's grace alone. And you can do the same thing. Stop hiding. Stop retreating. Stop thinking you're going to go white-knuckle this thing by yourself. 
It's the Apostle Paul sharing, asking God's people, some of God's people that he's never even met, asking God's people to pray for him, being honest about where his head and heart were at in the midst of it. So we, we are to be honest. Secondly, we see that Paul is asking for prayer, which you see him do throughout this letter and, and in other letters. Again, he's a giant of the faith, but he's not above the continual need for God's grace in his life. And we express our need for, for God's grace through prayer, including and especially when we ask for prayer from fellow siblings in the family of God. In verse 11, he says, join in helping by your prayers. Prayer is helpful. Prayer is a gift. The prayers of God's people lead to spiritual fruit in the kingdom. And when we ask someone to pray for us, it humbles us. It says, I have need. I have need. Here's where my heart is at. Here's where my mind is at. Here's where my life is at. Here's where this loved one in my life is at. It expresses need. The need for the Lord, the need for community prayer, Prayerfulness is, is helpfulness because it changes things, starting with our own hearts. Who do you need to share your affliction with this week? Honestly and humbly asking them for prayer. Also in his sharing, I want us to see one way the, the Lord is redeeming or using the affliction in his life. And it, in, in short, it's this. It's loosening Paul's trust in himself. And it's strengthening Paul's trust in the Lord. And when that happens in our lives, that's a good day. It brings God glory when that happens. Verses 9 and 10 again. again. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a, horrible, uh, from such a terrible death, and He will deliver us. We have put our hope in Him that he will deliver us again. In the midst of hardship, Paul's tendency to trust in himself is being exposed. I can relate to that. If you're honest, you can relate to that as well. The futility of that. And at the same time, the unchanging and faithful character of the Lord is exposed, highlighted. And Paul's saying, I'm putting my hope in the Lord more and more, and I'm loosening my grip on what is earthly, and I'm tightening my grip on what is eternal. John Piper says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. Well, one thing we can know in the midst of affliction that the Lord is seeking to do is deepen our roots in Him and dig up the roots that we've tried to put in earthly things including ourselves, because it's loose, it's rocky soil, it's sandy soil. He's saying, dig that up and anchor your roots over here in the unchanging identity of being in Christ. The Alpha, the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Do you hear the confidence of Paul's words? I'll trust in the God who raises the dead. He delivered us in the past, he'll deliver us again. This is not wishful thinking, this is not crossing your fingers, looking up at the sky, looking at a star, wishing upon a star. This is a declaration. This is the character of our God. And He is faithful. I'm going to trust in Him. He will be faithful in the future. He's been faithful in the past. Whether the affliction is temporary or lifelong, whether we get a clear sense of why or the why is never answered this side of heaven, whether healing takes place on this side of heaven or not, 
in the midst of asking, seeking, knocking, believing God is more than able, at the same time saying, like Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. In the midst of that, we put our confident hope in the Lord. Even if our affliction leads to death, the Lord will deliver us. For the grave is never the final resting place for God's people. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. This next story is recounted in the book of Union with Christ again. But the author writes this. In the movie Selma, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. goes to, confront, or goes to comfort the grandfather of a boy who has been tragically murdered. The greatest of orators meets the old man at the morgue and says, with difficulty, there are no words. When tragedy strikes and the hurricane of suffering threatens to undo us, we do not need a sermon or a how-to manual on getting through suffering. In the film, Dr. King goes on to say, but I can tell you one thing for certain. God was the first to cry for your boy. And this is what we too have in our suffering. God sees, God knows, and God is with us. If we are united to Christ, we have the real presence of Christ, the suffering servant, weeping with us and carrying us along. He understands and he is near. And he's comforting and strengthening us through one another in the family of God. The God of all comfort, God of all mercy. We are the recipients of his comfort so that we might be the means of his love and comfort toward others. And listen, we don't have to be all the way through affliction before we go in comfort. Because sometimes affliction is lifelong. If we've wait till that's over, we've waited too long. May we be present and prayerful with one another as a way of life. For Jesus is most certainly present with us and prayerful and interceding on our behalf. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 121, 1 and 2, which says, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. Father, we lift our eyes to you. Thank you that we are sons and daughters adopted by you, secure in your hand. May you move us as a way of life more and more toward yourself and away from a self-reliance and a trust in ourselves. May we put our hope in you alone. May you move us toward one another, fellow siblings in the family of God, away from isolation and toward relationship. Enable us to be honest in the midst of suffering, to be humble enough to ask for prayer and hopeful in your presence and power displayed through prayerfulness. Remind us that it is a, it is a gift to be able to pray with and for one another. For those that are walking through present day affliction, trial, test, suffering, I pray that you would comfort and you would strengthen, that you would pour courage into their life through the Holy Spirit, enabling them to not only endure, but continue to grow up in Christ-likeness in the midst of it. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for the opportunity we have day in and day out to display your love toward one another. Thank you for being a God of all comfort. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be received in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, though not seen him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 